So it's time because the FDA has given us a very good topic, Don. Well, well, sort of a good topic. Yeah. You don't think it's good? It's a good, I mean, you know, when FDA updates something about Biocom, it's good. It sounds like it's a good topic. Yes. And, and, and maybe this will give an avenue for me to have success where I've failed in the past. Ah, with a podcast? Not the podcast, (laughs) but the guidance, maybe. (laughs) Welcome to Biocompatibility, the first ever podcast focused on the biocompatibility of medical devices. NAMSA is happy to bring Biocompatibility to you, where each episode features leading industry experts and their discussions on biocompatibility challenges. Be sure to visit www.namsa.com for more information and to access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. So we are, um, we're actually all in the same room. So we're in Philadelphia. No, we're not in Philadelphia. No, we're not. Not yet. No. Next Last time we did this we was in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Right. We're in Minneapolis at the North American Biocompatibility Summit. And thankfully, the FDA decided to release a new guidance document while we're here. So Phil Smeraldo is joining us again. Dr. Phil, is this your three-peat? I think this is third time. Yeah, third time on the show. I can't get enough. You're about to become a permanent member. (laughs) We're just going to have Phil with us. So, hey, if I call in sick. To a podcast recording? Yeah. (laughs) Anything's possible. Anything's possible. (laughs) What about if I call in sick? You guys could do it. Bill and I could do it. We could do it. Yeah. 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 As long as we get this recording thing down. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, I'm a little behind on that. All right. So, we have a new document from the FDA. And Don, you're going to give me the name of that document because I don't have it in front of me. I just realized. But the name's really long. Well, I mean, we got to be official. I mean, according to, you know, if you look at what the FDA sent us all, it's FDA issues the final guidance on use of international standard ISO 10993 part one parentheses biocompatibility. The full title is use of international standard ISO 10993 Dash one biological evaluation of medical devices. Part one evaluation and testing within a risk management process. Guidance for industry and food and drug administration staff. There we go. And they all lived happily ever after. Yes. Yes. Podcast is done. <laughs> so, so the last time this was updated was well, they're updating it primarily because. The draft they issued in October 2020 on the skin contact evaluation, they've now finalized that and put into here. Is that correct? That's correct. So we got a new Annex G. Annex G used to be the glossary, but easy to remember. But now the glossary is H. And that's a bummer. I know. That's a lost opportunity. I know. Couldn't they have gotten... We're just putting appended it. Couldn't they have just made, gotten, change a D? Apparently not. Um, Apparently not. So... So yeah, it's Annex G, and 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 that's the the primary reason. If you look at their notification of why they put this new one out there, I mean, those that have been talking to the FDA probably knew this was coming, right? Because they needed some place to put the draft skin guidance document into final, into final. So why not put it here instead of making it its right. own guidance document to stand on its own? So we look back into the archives of biocompatibility. And in November 2020, one month after they issued the guidance on this, the draft on this skin contact, we did a podcast episode on that. So if you want to go back and listen to what it sounded like then, 
you can listen to what the draft was of the skin contact portion that they've now put into Annex G, not the glossary of this document. Exactly. So that's the primary thing, but there's lots of other things too that are maybe little nuanced things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, far be it from us to pass up a good nuance to talk about. So, so, so what is your favorite nuance of the new guidance document? My favorite new, I I think Annex. I I mean, that one was sneaky. That was sneaky. Well, that was in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And that's bound in in there. Right, right, right. So as I was reading through the document, I saw that when they mentioned legally marketed devices, like every time they referred to that phrase, it used to say legally U.S. marketed devices. And in the new version, they took out the letters U.S. Okay. And when I first read that, I, I was getting excited because I thought, well, maybe they're opening up their acceptance to devices that have been approved elsewhere in the world, but just not yet in the United States. So I was all excited. I mean, it could be a big deal. I'm right there with you. Right. And then I ran across footnote 10. Footnote 10. Footnote 10, which defines legally marketed device is limited to those devices marketed in the United States. So So they just all my hopes and dreams just came crashing. Saved some letters (laughs) up above. And and just to clarify, we're talking about in Annex G specifically. Just in Annex G specifically. Yeah, that's where footnote 10 is at, I believe. Oh, I don't know. I thought there is. Hold on. Hold that thought. That was, I I, I forgot to look that up. I, I wasn't sure of the position. So you were thinking legally marketed U.S. only refers to Annex G? Hold on. Oh. This is getting exciting now. This is really getting exciting. If you guys could see their faces, they're just scrolling, scrolling, yeah, scrolling. <laughs> so... The page number, you know what I mean? While we're confirming that, we do know at least it does imply to Annex G because Annex G points a lot to legally marketed devices, correct? Because that's where they're saying if you use these materials in this type of situation, then you don't have to do any testing. Yeah. Better words. Yeah. And so, yeah, the footnote 10 is actually on page four of the guidance. So, yeah. Oh, I was, it's the whole guidance. It's the whole. All right. So, don't, match. so don't get too excited Don when you get to derailing yeah. our conversation yeah. completely. So, so, right from page four, you'll be, that's hence probably why Phil was so excited because it was applying to the whole guidance. It was applying to the whole thing. Right. It was going through the whole thing. Anywhere they had that, they deleted the letters US. And that was but, getting excited. But when you look is at it, footnote, it's 10, footnoted. It's a footnote at the bottom of the page. It says, quote, for the purposes of this guidance, legally marketed devices are limited to devices marketed in the U.S. So well, there you have it. So you, you got to read the fine print through, through all these things. And they take it away. <laughs> so and I th- so, I think so nothing change. has changed in essence. To that. Well. <laughs> Pretty much. So that change is not a change. <laughs> and, and so that you you had asked the question, what was the... Most interesting. Your update. favorite nuance. Yeah, but and that was Phil's favorite mm-hmm. nuance. Uh, yeah, what's I yours? I think my, my favorite nuance, I don't know if it's, I don't know. But, but just don't overlook that Annex A has slightly been updated because now the X's and O's are almost all gone. There's two O's for material-mediated pyrogenicity, mucosal contact, prolonged, and long-term. Um, so so they, they retained them as O's. Explain to 
Don't our go average listener. No, no. What the difference between X's and O's are. Well, so like, I mean, this is a table and some yeah. things are indicated that for evaluation with an X and some are indicated for evaluation with an O. What is the O? So, I mean, the X per the, the yeah. guidance recommended endpoints for consideration. Right. As compared to an O recommended endpoint for consideration additional. Additional endpoints for consideration. And then you have to look at the asterisk that goes with both the X and the O that comes after them both. And it says all X's and O's should be addressed for biological safety evaluation, either through the use of existing data, additional endpoint specific testing, or rationale for why the endpoint does not warrant additional assessment. Okay. So even though we still have two O's. Yeah. I, ever since the X and the O were defined in this manner, which goes back to the first issuance of this guidance in 2016, I really treated them all as treated X's. Them as X's. Yeah. 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 So mark in the box. You got to do it. There's a mark in the box. You know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. So either go do a test or talk about why you're not going to do a test. Right. Justify it. Right. See, they, the way they kind of did this was they, like I said, they took some O's away and converted them to X's. And and the X's now mean that this is an endpoint. It's a recommended endpoint by ISO 10993 part one. So this is so looking a little bit more if, with it, part one. Yeah. If you remember the prior version mm-hmm. of part one, it had far fewer. The X's? O's. O's, whatever they were, dots, <laughs> stars, <laughs> but there was far fewer. And then when FDA, when FDA's guidance came out, they had right. all these had additional that. things. Yeah. Yeah. Then part one got updated, which had more things. Yeah. With ease. Then. Oh, ease. There's an right. E. Today it's an E. There's an E. There's an E. Except for physical and chemical information, which is an X. Which is an X. So, but now we're. Already segued over to a standard versus a guidance, but anyway. So guidance. So let's talk (laughs) about guidance. Let's talk about guidance. So this is a guidance for the US FDA. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe guidances like in historical G95 is one thing. They develop them partially for their own importance, like for their use. So they're reviewers have a specific guidance on what the FDA's position is. With that, it also gives us, obviously, instruction, kind of an instruction manual. This is what their expectation is. This is how we fulfill it. Accurate statement? Yeah. And so they have to have a general consensus to their standards. And with all that said, can't overlook the box on the front page says oh. this is not law, right? <laughs> Basically, yes. Yeah. It does not establish any rights for any person and is not binding on FDA or the public. You can use an alternative approach if it satisfies the requirements of applicable statutes and regulations. Right. To discuss an alternative approach, contact the FDA staff or office responsible for this guidance as listed on the title page. Yeah. So, so and I think, so that's that's interesting. So it's basically because we know especially in a couple of different instances, there's big differences in what maybe part one says versus this guidance. And so they're saying, we're not saying it's never possible, but you have to really convince us if you're going to just use part one and not not look at our guidance in consideration. Yeah, and it, it really, if you think about it, it's similar 
even outside the United States, it's similar to, say, in the EU, medical device regulation right. being law. You know, right. you have to follow this. You have to do this. And versus standards, yeah. which are optional. Right. Hey, right. They're, they're kind of like a best, best practice approach to addressing. Sure. If you got a better idea, yeah. hey, have at it. But you have to pay but attention to what's in this. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's well, a really good point. And I think that's an interesting comparison against MDR. And I think it's one thing that I do like about this FDA document is it's using the same language that's included in the 10993 standards. Like MDR is using, putting things into invasive and non-invasive as opposed to the different categories and things that are included in the, the 10993 series. Right. So I guess, you know, at least the FDA is using the same languages that we're used to, mm -hmm. we'll say. Mm -hmm. And so, so if if we were to look at this, so we have two two of our favorite non nuances we've discussed. I don't have. Well, I do have a favorite nuance, and it is an addition, and only because I worked so hard on it when NAMSA <laughs> got the accreditation. But they talk about ASCA, and so for those of you that don't don't know, ASCA is the FDA's uh, accreditation for laboratories. They have two different kind of accreditations right now, one for biocompatibility and one for more electronical stuff. NAMPS has been accredited, fully accredited for all the test methods available since 2021. Nine months after the FDA made it available, we were accredited. So now there's a few other labs on the list for one or two assays. Most of them have CYDO. Like, I don't know, CYDO, ASCA, CYDO, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> but... There are more there are more companies on the list, but it is you are accredited by method. So now they've put ASCA in here. And so what do you guys take away from the addition of ASCA into this guidance? I know the FDA is really, 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 really encouraging ASCA. What ASCA does is is greatly decrease the burden on a reviewer. Like that's the time at least in half. And so I know that's one of the reasons it was put in place. So what are your thoughts on what it says about ASCA? Well, I think, I think it's, I mean, one of the, one of the big things that. Like They're the not as thrilled about ASCA as I am. Well, <laughs> if you could see them, come on guys, I need some energy. Here. You, you got to keep in mind here that, that <laughs> from a, from a, a author of a risk assessment, when I get a report that comes across my desk, I want to see all those details. Right. Because I live in that detailed world. Right. I want to see all that. Right. Me personally, if you gave me an ASCA report, I would be okay with it. But I wouldn't feel like I got all the information. Well, just because that's how I work. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to debunk that statement. Because with your ASCA report, you also get a full GLP report that can be used for anything. So it's not like you just get an ASCA report. Oh, and I would be. But all you have to submit to the FDA to review is your ASCA report. So it's uh, right. like two sheet, two sheet summary versus the entire however many page sensitization study. So, but you do still get a GLP report. We have to still issue a GLP report. So, so good point. You'd want to see the detail for whatever you might be using it for. And you still can. So everyone's a winner. This is great. Everyone's a winner. I, I have to admit, I, I don't think I've seen any ASCA reports come across my desk. I don't think any have been used for assessment yet that I know right. of. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. So, and, and oh. yeah, because a lot of them might be even 
short-term contact devices, right? Mm -hmm. They're just looking for, um, they need quick review. They need quick approval, quick, quick clearance. It works really good in those instances if you need your response from the FDA pretty quickly. Yep. Now, if you're using ASCA and mitigating other endpoints, you know, that's when you'll get involved. And, and I'm sure you'll start to see some of those eventually because there will be people that want to use ASCA for everything. And then we can't use it for gene pox or subchronic because the FDA doesn't allow that to be in the ASCA program. So there will be those instances, I'm sure, where it'll come up. So are they looking to expand the program to those additional studies down the road? Well, we have asked them <laughs> Okay. when they, when they come to us, cause we've been, so we talk with the FDA regularly about this because we've been really closely involved since the, since the beginning, the thought, the inception, whatever. And, um, they said, what can we do? What can we do to make it better? And we say, gene talks mm -hmm. as the next one, as the next step. That's definitely where I think we'd start to see a, a big difference. I don't know that we'll ever get there in muscle implants because of the way that it has to be so fit in a box. And those kind of have to get pretty creative sometimes or chronic studies. Not sure. But if we could get gene talks added, I think that would, I think that would add a lot. But for right now, you know, it's, it's the top tests in volume, top tests that everybody has to do. And then say I'm submitting and I'm, I'm not making this an ASCA talk, so I'm going to stop after this, but you got me started. If I have an implant, for example, and I'm going to, I have to submit, you know, 14 test reports. Well, if seven of those are ASCA, that still cuts my reviewers burden down by a big time. They're going to be happy to see seven ASCA when they have to then look at the other ones that are implants and subchronic or whatever. So enough about ASCA. I'm glad it's in there. <laughs> and it's not really, they just, they just tell you basically if you do it, you just have to do your summary report, but they didn't really give any more. It's really in their reporting expectations in their reporting section. section. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they do want to see all those things, but obviously if you're ASCA approved or accredited, you whatever to. you call yep. it, then that's already kind of been established yep. and, and, and down the road. Okay. So, yep. All right, Don. You have a ditto what Phil said. Ditto. Not ditto what I said. No, what Phil said. <laughs> <laughs> These guys gag up on me when they're together. <laughs> Who feels sorry for me? <laughs> All right. What other nuances do we need to cover? I'm, I don't know why I'm calling them nuances instead of updates, but... In all except two cases that I've found, permanent has now been replaced with long-term. Right. So, I mean, I was one of those people that was still, if I was writing a document for EU in the United States, I was putting permanent slash long-term <laughs> just because... Because ISO says long-term. Yeah. 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 So now we're, we're pretty much... I don't know that I had to do it in the first place, but you know, yeah, you, you can use long term and it's all good. ISO eighteen five six two still using permanent. Oh shoot! It's being revised though, so yeah, we got the whole What's air <laughs> pathway, folks, coming to mess it up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love the air pathway, folks. Don't hold it against me. Okay, so permanent. Is now long term in most instances. So there's two. Yeah, there's there two they forgot to change. Two. The tolerance for risk associated with a permanently implanted medical device may be higher. That's the one quote. Okay. And permanent pacemaker leads and pacemaker lead adapters. Obviously, they're pretty permanent unless they're pretty get them removed, like yeah. my dad did when they got infection in one of them. Yeah, and they're not yeah. fun to remove. But, but anyways, yeah. Conceptually, though, we're still talking. You know, Annex One, Annex A. I mean. Uses long term now okay. from, from FDA's annex, but, but again, that that kind of that that does align with the the current 
you know, part one language. Um, yeah. So they're, they're aligning, which, which yep. going back to the language thing, yep. using the same type of terms and things, it's good that they're staying consistent. Okay. And it, it is a sad day, but we've said goodbye to the word tripartite. I, I mean, I, I don't even know. How can we live? How can we live with seven memo? Eighty-seven. Do we have to take it out of our history then, Don? No, I don't think so. No, it's staying in. Staying in our history. Yeah, it'll forever be in our hearts because <laughs> it's a fun word. I mean, it's a totally made-up word, right? Does it? Yeah. Did it even exist? I, I like the fact that they. So it doesn't say tripartite anymore because it used to say that the seven principles. It, it said originally from the tripartite guidelines and that's gone now. So, you know, even more reason for us to talk about history because, you know, we lost that little connection. Right. We have to keep it up there. Well, and, and this is, it's interesting you say that. Um, and it's interesting that this topic came up because I've been talking with a few colleagues who are some of the newer people who have joined the group and they just don't have any idea about the whole history. Yeah. The G87, the Red Book, or well, whatever. Well, Don would be happy to give them that. Give and them and, a presentation. And, and I think, and, but I think that's it's the thing, important. right? It, it is important to understand how how did we actually get to where we are? Because in, until you do that, I, I don't know. You, there's just a lot of lost information there about why why on earth are we worried about this? Well, that's because it's traditionally been incorporated in other documents, and why were those generated? Mm -hmm. What's the threshold of regulation? What are these types of things that words that some people don't even know exist that are out there? And the other part of that I think is interesting is it also shows, in general, the youth of the medical de device regulations. Mm -hmm. Like, it has not been that long. Like, while we're still evolving so much is because I haven't been doing that th that long. I mean, pharma's ahead of us because they started way sooner, but still, we got a long way to go to catch up to where they are in their regulations. So I think it's, or guidance, or standards, or whatever you want to call it. So I think it's interesting in the fact that it does show still the youth of these things. These these are younger than me. <laughs> these FDA. You said that. I know. <laughs> I Silence on this side of the room. Look, I know you were born before 1987, weren't you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Before 87. Yeah. 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 So we all were born before 87. But when was? Yeah. Well, 76. I was born before 76 too. So it's all younger than me. <laughs> You were not born before 76. No, I was born in 78. You were born in 78. No. We don't have to talk about you, Don. <laughs> Enough if the said. Third, if the third <laughs> number in your date is not seven, we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> it is. It is? Oh, you're the first one. <laughs> it's got a zero after it, but that's okay. You're only two years older than me? Wow, yeah. I don't know why I thought you were older than that. I know this. We've talked about this a hundred times. Okay, so... The do we need to probably we probably need to go into a little more detail on the skin contact thing. You know, like I said, we we had a podcast about it the first time, but I mean, in general, what does this say? And as a follow-up question to you guys, have you used the draft in the past to try to make this defense? And do you think this helps better with making the defense? And go. Really, really high level because that's what we have time for. Basically, it's saying for certain devices with skin contact and skin contact only, intact skin only, that if your device is made out of 
a certain material and they list them all out in the guide in Annex G, then you essentially don't have to do biocompatibility testing. Kind of working off the premise that look, we've we know so much about these materials, and quite honestly, for a lot of these materials, you touch them every day. Your clothes are made out of them in some cases. <laughs> so do we as a medical device industry have to say it has the same type of contact as my cell phone, as my shirt that I have on? Why would we need to do biocompatibility testing as a device? And, and, and so, you know, you have to be careful because it's not every material. It's a list of materials. And I guess at a really high level, I think that's what it says. <laughs> yep. Yep. I would agree with that. I, I think the idea here is that we've either used these types of materials so long or, or we encounter them on a daily basis that there's not a whole lot of risk going on here. Right. Yeah. Now, it's perfect because it aligns with what we're supposed to be doing here is assessing really where there's risk. There are a few caveats, <laughs> which I don't know if you guys talked about these previously <laughs> says, or not. He says with a little grin yes but there are devices to be devices indicated for neonates right the neonate skin and skin of infants is more permeable and therefore the risk that leachables may permeate the skin is higher suggesting that if your device even if it's intact skin only could be used in those patients they're going to want to they're going to want to see the data yeah and it has similar type wording for pregnant women so if your device can be used in those patient populations, neonates or pregnant women, they're going to want to see some testing. Mm-hmm. The way it's worded in the document, however, it makes me start to wonder if cytotox sensitization and irritation are going to be sufficient. <laughs> because it uses phrases like, for pregnant women, it says physiological alterations during pregnancy may lead to higher unsafe levels of toxicants that would otherwise be deemed safe in a non-pregnant woman. In addition, if a chemical is absorbed through the skin, they could be transferred from a pregnant woman to her fetus. Now, there's, there's no specific citations for that, so I don't really know. But what I'm saying here is when you read that, I'm sitting here thinking a cytotox, a sensitization study, and irritation is not enough. Yeah, that does, op- you see that what does I mean? sound a little scary. It's, it, it makes it super frightening. <laughs> and I'm not suggesting that we need to do more no, testing no, for these devices. I agree, but, yeah. but I'm just saying that that the way it's worded in there, man, it makes me. It's wonder. an interesting statement to make without any additional recommendation on how to handle it. Just like, right. ooh, this might be danger. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and now it does. I mean, into that where that's mentioned, and as well as other situations, it does say that discussing these types of situations with the FDA and a Q-sub certainly could be beneficial. So, so to like Phil's point, this sounds scary enough, but maybe I have a way to, you know, that I feel pretty confident, even though it sounds scary because I've assessed things and I really know the reality of the situation rather than maybe some assumptions that this might occur. But now I have evidence that I would say, shows that it shouldn't occur. Like there shouldn't be a chemical in this device or this material with skin contact that would cause that type of risk. So maybe that's a discussion point with the FDA and the mm-hmm. Q-sub just to make sure they're on board. And, and I think too that you were saying that maybe with this type of, of annex, we no longer have to say that our material is the same as that used in a keyboard or using our cell phone or using the fabric of our material. Or whatever. Right. 
But maybe in these particular cases, maybe you do need to still make that argument. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't need to do testing, but maybe you still need to make that argument. Yeah. Because I don't think we're, we're limiting pregnant women from using their cell phone or other materials that they... There's definitely wearing Lycra. So, so, so <laughs> it's an interesting point because the first exception where that Phil brought in the, the, the pregnant woman concept, the first exception is if a legally marketed device made from the same material was found to be toxic in previous testing. For example, if a rationale was used to support a previous pre-market submission where the material was found to be toxic in a biocompatibility test. Additional information may be needed for the subject device. So if you look at the list of materials, there's at least one in there that does a pretty good job failing Sido. But this, it's this on the is list why my campaign again to rid the world of Sido. <laughs> medical devices. For medical devices. Completely useless. Those poor cells just get used for nothing. Save the cells. I think the, I mean, I'm under the impression here, I've always lived under the mantra, if you will, that there's no data that's useless. Yeah, well. But there are some, definitely some data sets that are more useful. Yeah, like like there's no stupid people. There's just stupid answers or whatever it is. I don't know. But yeah, I get, yeah. I mean, because in that instance, Lycra will fail Zydo, so so, so if I have previous experience from another, from another device, device. Lycra that failed Cyto, but Lycra's on the list, where does that put me? Ponder that for a bit. The room goes quiet. It's a bit of a pickle. We have no idea where to go, Don. <laughs> Deep thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so again, I think... Yeah, that's an that's a interesting yeah. one. Yeah. But we, again, we can't lose sight of where you're talking about Lycra, right? Mm-hmm. We can't lose sight of that being a material that people are exposed to Every day. on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And, and we're sitting here losing sleep. It, I'm definitely going to lose sleep about People this. are exposed to this on a daily basis, including pregnant women, mind you. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we're going to, as an industry, lose sleep over a failed cyto for, for this particular material. It's, I, I don't know what to say. That's We're my new bumper sticker, Sido. What's it good for? I'm sorry. I'm so bad. We can market that. I can market that. I mean, there's a very small number of let's, let's not go people that listen to our podcast that might buy my bumper sticker. but we, And we won't go on to the next lyrics of the song. <laughs> no. No, no. <laughs> but anyways. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> okay. All right. So. Have we sufficiently dissected the guidance document? I think for the most part. One thing I will mention, okay, just because I found it and I thought it was interesting in, in outside of Annex G, but if you go to Annex A, where are the table's at, they got rid of some of the reasoning of why the table was updated and such, sure. because now it's not an updated table. It's, it's been there before. But they did make the note to talk about subacute and subchronic. And it says, the part yes, one this is interesting. Yeah. Subacute and subchronic. Right. FDA kept subacute and subchronic in the same column still. But they made the note that if you're going to do a systemic toxicity test, I'll just get rid of the duration yep. thing, but it's mentioned under subacute, subchronic. 
that if you do a 14-day systemic tox repeat dose study and your device has a duration of contact that exceeds 14 days, that's... Don't do it. That's not so good. So if you have, per se, a wound dressing Mm. that can be repeatedly applied over the course of a 30-day application, I'll say this kind of plays on the common sense that don't do a 14-day I mean, that seems kind of obvious. Yeah. But, you know, and again, I know the Annex and ISO 10993 Part 11 is written for more or less things of a different nature, indirect contact primarily. But even there, I mean, you'd have to think about the comment that's in FDA's statement here, I think. Before I just say 14 days is long enough because the standard said 14 days is long enough mm-hmm. because FDA may come back at you and say, I beg to differ. Now, Phil and I were talking. Now, there's other situations where 14 days, even though your duration of treatment might extend beyond 14 days, you might not be exposed to a device during that entire duration of treatment. Right. Maybe once a month for six hours or something like that. So now, I mean, your study may still be relevant if it's only 14. And 14 might be an exaggeration, quite honestly, of clinical exposure on a dosing day basis. So basically, if you, if you think you need to do this, the test, if you think that's necessary, that endpoint needs to be evaluated by testing, be very careful about the duration of your device contact and which one of those systemic studies you choose. Yeah, don't be afraid, I would say to make your own study based on principles that are in part 11. Okay. And design it so it makes sense for your device. So if I'm a 21 day and not 14 and not 28, should I design a 21 day? Maybe. I, yep, maybe. Okay. I mean, I've done odd I'm sure you've done odd things. I've done seven days. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so I mean, truly So yeah. Know, I mean, I think that and I as a matter of fact, I've had I'd have I've had FDA request for a particular device, a seven-day study. So they were completely on board with doing some unique, I don't know, they're not even unique, but using some durations that are not specifically yeah. stated elsewhere. Yeah. So they were okay with that. So so back to the, not everything fits in a box. Know what your device is, know what evaluations needed for your device, and then make sure you work with somebody that can help you determine the right way. Okay. Because yeah. I, I mean, I see lots of quotes from lots of different places, not NAMSA even. And, you know, sometimes there'll be all of those studies that'll be listed and the customer's like, and then it's like, customer, you choose which one. And so, which is a responsibility, the sponsor's responsibility, but I think this is kind of a buyer beware situation is make sure you're educated into which one you choose and and ask for support in that in any way you can. Yeah. Good yeah. point. Mm-hmm. And with that, I am done. You are done? That was the last thing I had on my little checklist of things to, to talk about. But I don't know if Phil's done. Phil, Phil may want to go on for another hour. Uh, no, I was, I was, <laughs> I'll admit when I first saw the email come through that they updated and issued their guidance, I was a little nervous about some things that might have worked their way in there. I can't really talk about it right now, but mm-hmm. it did not. But it did not work its way into the document. So we only, we can't fear what's not real. Right, exactly. So, so. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So, your review came out really fast when, uh, when we got it. It was a matter of hours before your side by side review came out. So, I knew you were eager to. (laughs) Me and Don were sitting there on the phone saying, now, how do we do the compare document? 
that was pretty impressive. Yeah, it's it, it, like to Phil's point, the things that aren't there. If if somebody was hoping that they were going to see like an annex on chemical characterization, yeah, no, yeah, it, that no. So 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 yeah, it is. It's it's just. I mean, the main update is Annex G, and there's some little nuanced things along the way. Now you said the two C words. We can't talk about them. <laughs> Chemical characterization. It's. I mean, it's it's in there, and it's in there in the they same way about, that it's always been. Yeah, in the there. way it's always been in there. Yep. 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 All right. Well, I don't have anything else, and we don't have any fun games. Has no. anything exciting happened to either one of you guys since we saw each other last? No. Just interesting biocompatibility comments. From various regulators. Yeah. Just leave it at that. Yeah. 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 No, nothing interesting. It's a, it's a I, I will say overall, especially, well, be it a limited contacting device to a long term one, it's it's a challenging world for biocompatibility, in my opinion. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. It's a little more complex, I think, than anybody thought it was supposed to be. Yeah. But that's where we're at. Yeah. So if you're feeling and pains not just out US, there, I mean, it's kind of oh, there's, yeah. there's global pains, right? Yeah. We have an expert right now over in Korea talking to them about how to use Part 18. But anyway, you know, they asked for training on how to how to use Part 18. What what are they supposed to look for? And so it's encouraging that that they might be working towards some alignment there. But you know, you just never know what's going to happen after that. But it's encouraging at least. So, all right. Well, I think that's it. Thanks, guys. Good episode. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy biocompatibility, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast store. For free resources and material, remember to visit www.namsa.com slash resources slash podcast. <laughs>